The Main Streets Podcast is brought to you in part by Mary Ansley Smalley with Ray and Pointer Properties. Whether you're stepping into home ownership for the first time, upgrading to a larger space, or navigating the sale of your current home, Mary Ansley is your go-to guide for a seamless and stress-free real estate journey. A native of the Main Streets herself, Mary Ansley has a deep knowledge of Birmingham's hottest and most desired neighborhoods and is committed to turning your real estate goals into reality. Ready to make your move? Call or text Mary Ansley Smalley today at 205-276-6438. 205-276-6438. Another episode of the Main Streets Podcast. William Galloway joined, as always, with my co-host, Britton Johnson. Excited to talk about Sanford basketball, the SoCon champions, and Alabama scratching and clawing their way, trying to get back atop the SEC, really retain uh, their position at the top of the SEC as defending champions from 2023. Britain, the college basketball world does not sleep. March is on the horizon. It is. It will be here on Friday, uh, the greatest month, arguably, of the calendar year. What are your thoughts as we kind of kick off another episode, and there's lots to discuss here today as uh, Alabama and Sanford are having tremendous amounts of success? Yeah, I mean, outside of, I guess, half of my Saturday, which was, I guess, the Kentucky half, but a really, really fun week of of sports. You and I were there on Wednesday at the Sanford game. I think we both can attest to that being one of the better nights of sports watching that we've had recently. Uh, I mean, we had it, I think, I think you tweeted it out, but we had the Alabama game pulled up on the phone, incredible overtime win that we'll get to. Uh, and then got to watch Sanford win in dramatic fashion when when realistically they should not have won that game at the end. I mean, the way that they did it, but just so resilient and tough. And, uh, you know, just the never-say-die attitude that Bucky has implanted in, in those guys. And it, it came through with an unbelievable win. So so great Wednesday. And then Sanford, for the first time, I believe, in school history, we were saying uh, before this, uh, getting the outright SOCON championship for the regular season, obviously they had a share – I guess we had a share. I was a part of it uh, last season, but uh, just getting the outright just speaks to what Bucky's built at, at in, you know, in Homewood. And uh, I think everyone who knew Bucky kind of expected this. Like it's not a surprise anyone who's, who's been a part of this journey with him, but to the outsider looking in Sanford's never been, you know, the program in the SoCon. And, and that's kind of what they've turned into, which is just kind of, wild in, in a league that has had so many other good teams over the years for for Sanford to kind of be the preeminent program. I'd say they kind of share that spot with Furman right now. And uh, if they can, you know, knock them off in the tournament, then they'll they'll be the program. So uh, it's amazing what Bucky's done uh, and is building because he's not done with it. It's not like this team's going to, uh, you know, this season's going to end and all of a sudden, this team and this program is just going to go downhill. It's like, no, this is sustained success coming. You see the freshmen and the way they've impacted, whether it's Riley uh, Allen's patch or uh, I'm sure I butchered his last name right there, or, uh, you know, Lucas, or, you know, some of these guys that are younger, Josh uh, Holloway, they got a really good young core that they're building. And so it's really exciting to see. Um, but yeah, it's been cool to be a part of it. Bucky talks about how, when you look at the body of work that they put together, right? Jermaine Marshall, AJ State and Cray, who was in street clothes, by the way, uh, in that win over Furman on Wednesday night. Um, you you think about program leaders, right? But also those freshmen that you just mentioned and a, a host of other guys are program builders in the sense that 
you know, Jermaine obviously can't play college basketball forever. Nowadays, it seems like people can. This is it for him after this season. Um, but those guys that you just mentioned, Alan Spock and Lucas Walls and uh, Josh Holloway, you know, people coming behind, those are the next guys up, right? So not only are they a part of this and they're key contributors, key contributors, but they're they're setting the expectation. They know what's going to happen and this they know what it takes to have this levels, uh, level of success. And they'll uh, try and carry that into next year. But for now, the Bulldogs are 25 and four, as you said, SoCon champions, 17 and 0 at home. Britain, you had a stat, and this can, um, this touches Alabama and Sanford, but statistically, Alabama and Sanford are the best two home environments in the state this year. Why don't you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, a certain fan base might not like numbers, maybe anti-number, and that's that's fine. But we're we're big on the numbers around here. We we, we like support two programs that are that love the analytics, and so looking at the analytics. Um, I, I, Alabama and Sanford had the statistically the two best uh, home court advantages this season, uh, whether that be through record, which, you know, Alabama and Auburn do have a tied home record. So that's what the Auburn fans will uh, fight back with. But Alabama has a better margin of victory. Um, and Sanford has, which Alabama's margin of victory is like 25 points per game, which is stupid. It's just like, an, that's, that's, that's Britton Johnson getting shots up territory every single game. Night in, night out. Knocking and on Sanford, the door of 100, if not breaking down that 100 percent threshold. And, and, you know, Sanford's undefeated at home, uh, has had an unbelievable home environment all year. That Furman game was was awesome to be a part of and to see, uh, obviously, knowing the success Furman's had. And it's kind of become a rivalry of sorts in the in the SoCon the last couple of years. And, and so that was a really – that felt bigger than a single game, you know, which kind of feels unfair to say sometimes because uh, you take each game for what it is. But that's one of those games that had had Furman won it, it would have felt like a lot more than one loss for Sanford. And had you know, with the result turning out the way it did, it probably felt like a lot more than just one win. So um, huge, huge win. I think Sanford's like a 19 points per game. Home court advantage, that might have gone down. Oh, then they – killed ETSU so it might be back up I don't know but um but yeah super super proud of the way um those programs have been built and you know what's so funny is Alabama is always gonna be a football state right we can yeah we can fight it all we want I, you and I are as big of football fans as anyone uh I, I know Saturdays in the fall I'm I'm locked in from noon or 11 a.m to midnight just about every Saturday so uh, I get it, and and I'm with you guys. But it's been really, really cool to see the way the state has been built into a basketball state as well, and how well the people of the state support basketball now. And I, you know, I really wouldn't have said that a decade ago. And that's where you do throw in Auburn and say, look, you, you have Alabama and Auburn, who are two prominent programs, not just like in the SEC or regionally, but nationally speaking, every single year, um, and two of the best home court advantages in the country year in and year out now. Uh, I think it's kind of the expectation from here on out that's going to continue, uh, especially when you get into SEC play, because uh, when you get to January, when football season's done, everyone kind of locks in a little more as a fan. Um, and then, you know, Sanford's been built into this kind of mid-major juggernaut almost at home. You don't want to go play there. And it's like you better catch them during Thanksgiving week when all the students are out or you might be in for it. So um, it's been really cool. I know – You've seen it just as much as I have, so you can probably speak to it too. But just the way 
it's it's been built since really we've gotten to college, you know. And it was one of those things that when when I got to college, Alabama Auburn was a rivalry because Alabama Auburn is a rivalry. Like that, but that was it though. Yeah. It wasn't like anything more than that. And now you look at it, it's like Alabama Auburn, the Iron Bowl of basketball, that's probably a top five college basketball rivalry right now. You know what I mean? Like not not college rivalry because the colleges hate each other and all that, but like from a college purely college basketball standpoint, is a top five rivalry. And you know, seeing Sanford being built into this, and you know, that's not to downplay what Andy Kennedy's done at UAB, or you know, I think you know Troy's having a pretty good year. So it's like around the state, it just seems that the environment and the fandom surrounding basketball has been really cool to see, uh, just get built up more and more and more. Nobody likes the guy that says, I told you so, right? And nobody can predict the future of what's going to happen. Bucky's pretty dang good at knowing what he's capable of. He sat us down at dinner in high school, and he probably did the same thing with you. And everybody was kind of wondering. It was kind of like I sent Chris Stewart a text message tonight, and I said, hey, I remember we sat down when I was in college, and I said, when when are you up? You know, when are you due? And he knew exactly what I was talking about and that I was asking about when is when is Eli's tenure coming to an end and when are you taking over as the voice of the Crimson Tide? And he said, you know, I don't I don't ask. I just wait. Um, Bucky knew all along he would be able to be successful no matter the circumstance. A lot of people doubted there's been this one pesky reporter from East Tennessee State who just loves to rag on Samford. And I was talking to Martin Newton today about um, I'm also not trying to name drop people in this podcast, so I realize I'm doing that. But uh, so sorry for being that guy. Dang, bro, but, you got connections. But no, but but Martin made a great hire in Bucky, and we all knew that Bucky would be able to be successful. It was the right opportunity. It was the right – the timing was just – it couldn't have been better aside from COVID. And it's allowed Bucky to kind of have a practice here and get his guys in. And, um, you know, here we are four years later. But he he knew it, right? You knew it. Everybody that followed Mountain Brook or participated in Mountain Brook so closely, it's not a shock that he's going to win SoCon coach for the third year in a row and Sanford's going to have a, a conference title, you know, back-to-back conference titles. It's, it's going to become the expectation on Lakeshore Drive so long as the Bulldogs can uh, hold on to Bucky. And, and I think – there's there's a difference in confidence and arrogance, and I think Bucky has that confidence of knowing what he's capable of, getting it done, being able to convey that message to the powers that be, you know, be it a Zoom interview with Martin Newton when he's, you know, interviewing during COVID, trying to get a job uh, at the next level. Um, to me, I've just, I'm a huge Bucky fan. I owe a lot of my career, you know, to be where I am to him. And, um you know, your your playing career at Alabama wouldn't have been possible with but so it's it's just so cool to you know, we're sitting here singing his praises, um, to see the success he's had and to know that that was it's not a shocker, right? We can sit here and be like, Well, of course he's winning. Um, but I just want to give a shout out to him and that and I'll let you kind of touch on that maybe a little bit and then we can kind of jump into Alabama. Uh, talking Crimson Tide here, but super happy about SoCon Championships. My dad was saying, hey, we got to get to Asheville, however possible. Um, and then he goes, if Sanford wins, we're going, they go to the tournament. If they're in Spokane, we're going, you know, we're going. And I'm like, were you buying the plane tickets? Because I don't have money for flying to Spokane on a Thursday in March. But hey, by all means, if you're in, I'm in. Yeah, it- 
you know, I'll, I'll see about the travel budget. I'm a poor student right now, so I don't, I don't have, I hope it's within driving distance and the schedule works out. I'd love to be able to go uh, watch those guys, but, but here's the deal with, with Bucky and with Oates, I'll kind of shout them both out. And it's kind of where I, I joke about how I, I fell into two of the most perfect situations ever at the right time. And, and as a result, I get to call myself a winner. I get to be like, Oh, I'm a winner. In reality, I think I was just in the right place at the right time. And, and, had two amazing coaches that I, I think are not just two of the best coaches in the country. Cause I think X's and O's or whatever, you can attribute that to a lot of people. They are that, but you can attribute that to a lot of people. They're two of the best program builders in the country. And you've seen it on display over the last few years, Sanford. And this isn't to, to knock any of the previous coaches, any, anything like that. Sanford was never relevant, not even just like relevant from the standpoint of success, but relevant within the community. Like, Maybe you occasionally would go to a Sanford game, but it wasn't like a, a go-to um, attraction within the city. It wasn't like, hey, like, we need to go to the Sanford game. Now, you the UAB game would be like, oh, UAB's hosting Memphis. Let's go to that or something like that. But it was never like, hey, we need to go to the Sanford game. And I, what I say is Bucky's most underrated attribute. So you can talk, we can sing his praises all day about his ability to coach and bring in guys and get them to buy in. And he's the most Saban-like guy I've ever been around in my life. Um, he, he really is like it, just so process oriented. We we used to practice after some games in high school, and they were never after losses. It'd be after we beat a team by thirty to turn the ball over too much. He he's so built, uh, he's so built that way with just process oriented approach. So I could talk about that all day, but I think what his most underrated attribute is is his ability to get the entire community to buy in to what he's trying to sell. He did it at Mountain Brook where you had a sea of neon every every playoff game they would go to. Uh, the entire community down to first grade is playing buckyball and going to buckyball camps and doing all that. And so now you have the buckyball academy every single summer at Sanford where all these kids from around Birmingham are coming in and they're going in and playing buckyball and they're buying into buckyball and their parents are seeing, hey, this is really cool thing to be a part of. The entire city is now bought into buckyball, and a lot of that success. We can we can lie about it all day and say that it's it's just because of the way Bucky can sell. But it's it's this mixture of him being a high achieving coach. He's going to win everywhere he goes. I hope he stays at Sanford for a while. But the reality is, he will win and be successful wherever he goes. But it's a combination of that, and he gets the entire community to buy in. The entire city of Birmingham is bought in on Bucky right now and deservedly so and how can you not love this team they're fun they shoot the ball incredibly well like you you've kind of highlighted a couple of those guys but uh you know I got to play with some of those guys and Jermaine and Nate and and the and the way those guys and and Jaden and AJ and Achor have all stepped up and you know Jermaine is just such a competitor I mean you see it you saw it on display in the Furman game hitting that game winner uh the dude's relentless but it's the combination of that. You have he brought in the right guys. Ryland Jones is unbelievable. And the dude is tough as nails. We saw his head basically glued back together at the end of the Furman game. Ash and hit yeah. swished two free throws to keep Sanford in the unbelievable. game. Unbelievable. This I don't even think, think it hit realm. Like it was just never in doubt. Like he is exactly what that team needed. And Bucky knew it and he got him. And you have these freshmen. We were talking about the program builders and the guys that are going to continue to grow this program and uh, I, I'm not meaning to leave, it, leave anyone out. I'm sure well, I am. And let's not forget but, Ryland's from Utah, right? He's never yeah. heard of Samford. Has Birmingham, Alabama has little, for what he knows, has little to offer him. And he's he like, never been right, before. 
I saw I, him say I, that. He, I he trust what this guy's been. preaching. I'll take it. Right. And, and so you have that. And then you have guys, uh, and I'll shout out guys like Grayson Walters, you know, guys that have been bought into what Bucky's been selling. This is Grayson's fifth year, I believe, uh, as a player. If not, it's his fourth for sure. And he has been uh, bought in the entire time Bucky's been there. It is fourth because he came in with Bucky. Um, and the dude is just a winner, is an everyday guy. And it's guys like that who also help in building a culture. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of be a part of the Oats when Oats flipped it and be a part of that. And some of the two-a-days during the summer that uh, sucked were horrible. And that first year was not a lot of fun, but it built to having the success we had second year and that is sustained all the way through now. Um, so you got to get the right guy, but you have to have every single person buy in. So it's a credit top to bottom. Uh, of everybody to Martin Newton for having the guts to make the decision, even though I think he probably knew it in the moment, that's going to be a winner. Like that's going to work, but it, it's still, it's a, it's a, it's a ballsy move to, for lack of a better word to, to pick a high school guy out of the high school ranks and immediately take him to be a D one head coach. Um, but I think everyone who knew, saw him get that chance knew he was going to take it and run with it. And, and boy, has he, I mean, the, and then, they, and then make the losers who said it was a bad, it was a bad hire go pound sand. So he, uh, yeah. he did that. And uh, Britain, before we jump into Alabama, I appreciate those words on Sanford. That's a good, good tidbit, good insight from a former player as well. I want to talk about Alabama and the struggle game versus Kentucky, but uh, quick, quickly, because Greg Burns spoke to the media today and, and talked about court storming and gave a, a tale of how Alabama football had an, a staffer nearly lose their eye, a student manager, uh, in, in a field storming a couple years ago. Obviously, you saw what happened with Flip and Duke this weekend uh, in the court storming, and everyone's going to say, well, you know, you're either really pro or you're really against, and there's no there's no there's nothing political about it, but it almost sounds like a political argument where everybody's like, it's so one way or it's so another way. Your thoughts on uh, on court storming in college athletics or storming the field of play, uh, football, basketball, or anything else? Yeah, so as with many things in life, I think the answer is found in the middle. Um, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, court storming needs to get banned altogether. Um, I, I don't believe that because I grew up uh, watching – Court storming is a really cool thing. Now, as a classy university, we don't do those type of things because we expect to win in every sport in every respect. That's an Alabama tidbit. But just as a whole, I think court storming, to an extent, field storming. I think field storming is a little different, but I think court storming is, is a fun thing. And I think 95% of the time, it's a good thing. The problem is, and you get it in a game like the Wake Duke game, is when the clock hasn't hit triple zeros yet and fans are already at the free throw line celebrating. And that's where it's just stupid, right? Because if you're on the floor, you're going to stay on the floor till triple zeros. You don't walk to the sideline before then. Um, but it just makes that whole experience so much worse. Uh, and, and just talk because like, you don't want to be worried about having to clear the floor with 10 seconds left before the buzzer. Um, so they need to have a, find a way to at least curb it till after. I, I really prefer it for after the handshake lines, but at a minimum, you know, the game to be final, the players get off the court and then let them go. I know that takes away a little bit of the fun of rushing the floor as soon as it hits triple zeros, but um, I'm not going to sit here. I know uh, Greg Byrne, I think, is the best AD in America. I always respect what he has to say on issues, and I don't even fully disagree. Like, I, I think there's some danger to it, but 
I'm also not going to take the hard stance of we need to ban it because I don't know. Like it's part of the craziness of fandom in college sports. We grew up with it. Like I, I love the uniqueness of it, um, of of college fandom, and I don't want to get rid of it uh, just because we've had some bad instances. But uh, with those incidents having taken place, I think you know something needs to change. Whether it's just having security be able to hold them back for just a little bit or or whatever that looks like. Um, I don't know. What's your what's kind of your two cents on that? Yeah, I think Jay Billis said this. And I, if I'm wrong, oh well. But uh, Jay Billis is not listening to this podcast, as far as far as, far as I know. Um, he's not one of our 10 million listeners. The media has glorified it, and they have made the media has made it what it is, right? And 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 so the media is going to tell you it's a great thing, and the coaches are going to tell you it's a terrible thing, and the fans are going to tell the losing coaches just win the game. If you don't want to, if you don't want to get the field storm, like don't just just win the competition, and um. But the money, the, Greg Byrne is right that the money's not going to do anything. The eighteen to twenty-two year olds who are sitting in the student section, they're they're the university and the athletic budget's going to write the check. It's not coming out of their pockets. Um, so if you want to incite change, if you want to, you can do it. It's I, and this is Billis again, which I agree with. If you want to, you can. It's just a matter of will you. But it has been glorified and elevated in the media. And it looks good on TV. And again, this is all what what he is saying. Um, and so that, yeah, people are like, oh, yeah, let's, let's put a stop to it. But they're not going to. Yeah. Because they, I mean, they, they the like the way thing. it looks. And when Auburn, I was in the truck for CBS Sports as a runner when Auburn beat Alabama on the Mac Jones. Um, he threw a pick six and or two picks in that game in that Iron Bowl. Um, and, and everybody in the day. truck's not... going crazy and they're, they're a production crew. They're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that game. And the director's getting over the headset and he's yelling, finish your job, finish your job, finish your job. Like we got to get through the post game. Um, you know, camera operators and, and switchboard operators and all those people. Um, but it, you know, meanwhile, everybody, even the production people in TV are like, this is so cool. Right. Um, also, it boosts their ratings and stuff like that. So from a media perspective, that's how I see it. Yeah, and one more, I guess, option, if you really want to actually punish it, because I'm not going to sit here and say you need to just have the team forfeit the game. I, I'm not going to take that hard of a stance, uh, especially because as a player, you don't want the actions of fans to impact the results that you put forth, you know, like that you actually created and made happen. Um but I will say one thing that could maybe curb it is if you started taking away home games for every time you storm the court. So let's say you get nine in SEC play and you storm the court and you lose one or two. Well, now you're at an even bigger disadvantage. Um, so if you have 10 road games and eight home games or 11 road games and seven home games, well, shoot, now you're really kind of having an uphill battle for the season. So, um, I think that's a that's an option that they could look at, but again, I'm I'm not going to take a hard stance on it. I, I think that they need to make sure that the fans don't rush the floor before triple zero is put. Outside of that, uh, try to funnel it a little better, you know. But I, I'm not going to take the hardest stance today. Well, you know what they say, Britain. If your students are 25 feet from the court, it's going to be real hard to get over the season ticket holders to storm the court. So. Chestnut checkers. Keep your students away Look, from the floor. 
Um, we don't got to worry about it at Alabama. No, and Alabama plays with class. That's, that's uh, in all seriousness, the Crimson Tide, if I had given you 95 points and 37% from three and 56% from the field at Rupp, you would have taken it uh, seven days a week and twice on Sunday. And you probably wouldn't have expected Kentucky to shoot 70%, Alabama's defense to fold like a chair and uh, to give up 117 points. I mean, just sickening um, after a, a gutsy home overtime win over Florida. What a mixed week of emotions for Crimson Tide fans, analysts, um, and everybody in between. Yeah, I mean, with the Kentucky game, yeah, I'll, I'll start with this. The thing that I've loved about this Alabama team so far, why they're in the hunt to win another SEC title, is they've won all the games they're supposed to win. Saturday was technically and otherwise not a game they were supposed to win. And so if you're going to chalk one up to like this one's probably going to be an L, I think going into the year, everyone would have said we're going to lose that game in Roth. Um, so I don't want to call it a house money game. But, you know, it, it, you can walk away with it from it and just flush it, I think, a little better when it's a game you weren't necessarily supposed to go in and win. The the defense obviously frustrating, and, and Oates was livid with it. And just, you know, from the same point of we're not going to win championships if we continue to guard that way. But I think two things can be true at the same time. I think Alabama's defense can be piss poor and have really bad showings. And I think Kentucky could have also beaten any team in the country if they played the way they did on Saturday. I think they would have beaten any team in the country playing that way on Saturday. I mean, they had guys that weren't missing shots uh, at all who averaged like eight points a game. They shot it until like the last eight minutes of the game. They were shooting like 70% from the field and 70% from three. Um, but you're not you're just not going to be the team doing that. Now, obviously, a lot of that is our defense, and that's where you got to get better and uh, have a little bit better competitive endurance when things aren't going your way to be able to push through it and try to fight and get stops. Uh, and that's really what's holding back this Alabama team from being top five nationally. But but the bottom line is that Kentucky I – wa- I walked away from that game saying Kentucky's the best team Alabama's played this year, regardless of record. Just going off of one-game sample size uh, in terms of top-end talent, I don't know if I've seen a team play better than that team all year. Um, now, the thing with Kentucky is they're young and inconsistent, and they aren't able to string together games like Alabama. If they could kind of almost mesh – Alabama and Kentucky in terms of the top end of Kentucky, which top end of Alabama is pretty freaking fun too. That's the that's at least the good thing about these, you know, losing in the Oats era is even when we lose, in terms of like losing, it's a little bit more fun. We're at least hitting some threes. You know, you we didn't lost lose Grant, we were scoring forty nine yeah. at Ole Miss right. like you did in the, right. the Grant era. Yeah, but also, hey, like let me say this too about about Kentucky because the casuals will watch, as Josh Pate likes to say, the casuals will watch that game and they'll put Kentucky in the Final Four. They'll say, "Oh, well, that I mean, that's a fantastic team." And yes, Kentucky looked absolutely phenomenal. But can you string together that in three or four games in the conference tournament, followed by six games? I mean, you don't they don't have to win the the conference tournament, but can you do that for six games all the way on neutral site games? where in the past couple of years, Kentucky has been just about average in, in postseason play. Maybe, maybe not. But the way they play, yeah. they look like the 96 Bulls. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, with this Kentucky team, I think what would be on par, and this will be a good test to see what kind of 
what kind of, um, you know, resolve and, and championship mindset that they have. Will they be able to go into the hump tomorrow at Mississippi State? You know, it's going to be a rock fight. It never is fun playing at Mississippi State and get a win there and, and play at that level that they played on Saturday, on Tuesday. And if they're able to do that, maybe that's to show that they're going to go on a run here at the end of the season. But I think it's just as likely that they kind of, um, I don't want to say fall apart, but that they lose a game they have no business losing against Mississippi State. You know, like, would it, would it shock you? Would it shock you if you go in there and they shoot 38% from the field or 38, 34% from the field and score 63 points in a, a 67-63 loss to Mississippi State? Like, it wouldn't shock me. I would so, like to wish Chris Jans a very good evening and go Bulldogs. Chris Jans, was it Chris Jans, the the dentist? What the they call dentist. him? Is that what the Rothstein so. tagline? Uh, but but yeah, so that'll be a good test. Obviously, offensively, uh, when they're when they're clicking, they're a juggernaut. Um, but you know, huge huge week ahead for Alabama. Great chance to turn it around real quick and and win at Ole Miss, hopefully, and. Um, That'll be a good test in its own right. Obviously, Chris Beard is one of the, as a coach, one of the more well-respected coaches. Now, off the floor might be a little different, but uh, one of the more well-thought-of coaches in the country in terms of the X's and O's, and and he's building something at Ole Miss. So uh, that'll be a great test for for the Tide. And then and then come Saturday, you have a college uh, game, one, day, one of the biggest home games. I don't want to say ever at, at Alabama, but it feels almost that way. Uh, to have college game day coming in, uh, to have Tennessee coming into town, get a chance to hopefully get some revenge. And if they win that, uh, they're going to have a chance to to lift another regular season championship crown uh, this year, which three and four years would would be saying something. I don't want to say that that would for sure put Alabama as the preeminent program in the league, but I think it'd be kind of hard to argue at that point. So, um, blood question mark. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and some, you know, there are some schools in the state that still try to maintain some realism about who they are as a program and, you know, not call themselves blue bloods the second they have success, but uh, you know, we'll see how we respond to it. We'd but rather sustain the blood. success than obtain the success. Absolutely. Let's keep it rolling. Write that one as long down. as Oates is there, I have a feeling that they will. So. Um, all right, so I'm going to give my last word. i got to give a shout-out to Tyler Davis, Ty Davis, and the Mountain Brook basketball team uh, taking on Carver Montgomery on Wednesday in the Final Four. Uh, Mountain Brook is in its 10th Final Four in the last 12 years, third in four years under Coach Davis since he took over. Is that for good? Lucky. Do what? Is that good? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think 12, it's pretty, pretty good. good. It, it – uh, they need to have a spring garden esque performance. The spring garden one A <laughs> girls were up forty one to zero on Elba today. Um, but like I I told Dickie Barlow at work, you know, you know what they say about Elba in the in one A girls basketball, Britain. They're a second half team. Oh yeah, they got to go. And, and they mounted sixteen points to 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 fall i think it was 72 to 16 no but seriously the state finals are going on in birmingham if you're listening to this check out the action in legacy arena games going on around the clock uh today started monday through saturday mountain brook will play on wednesday at 1 30 you'll hear a familiar voice over the pa system at legacy arena so uh come check out that action if mountain brook wins they'll play in the state championship at 2 15 on saturday uh, presumably against Caleb Holt and Buckhorn, which would be a rematch of last year's 6A state title. Anyway, super proud of the job that Mountain Brook has done. Proud to have 
been there to support them and looking forward to, to seeing what they do. Go Bulldogs and um, proud of the job that Bucky and the guys are doing, trying to close out the regular season and try and get that conference title to get the automatic bid. And of course, pumped up about college game day coming to Tuscaloosa. I uh, got to take care of business in Oxford and then uh, have a party in Tuscaloosa this Saturday against a big, big game in Tennessee. So that's, that's my final word. And I'll give you the closing book, Britton. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we covered every base that I could cover here, but you know, I'll, I'll follow up with yours just on, on Mountain Brook. And, and yeah, I texted all those guys after they, they beat Homewood in the Elite Eight just to say I'm proud of the way they're repping. And then, uh, hopefully they can keep it going. Uh, I, I don't know yet if I'll be able to make it just because of class, because I'm a nerd now. But uh, we'll, we'll see. But just I, I know you're starting to feel it too. I'm hoping everyone listening is really starting to feel uh, marches on the horizon. And it, it's so exciting. I'm so pumped for hopefully just a great month of hoops. And um, I'm starting to feel it a little bit. Starting to, you know, the weather's getting a little better, um, and, and the games are starting to feel like they mean a little bit more. And because they meant the a thin lot, mints, really, Girl Scouts January. are selling their thin mints, which you know is oh, synonymous yeah. with SEC tournament time. So get your orders in. So yeah, I guess I'll, we'll just end with this. You know, March is coming. We sleep in May. Roll Tide. <laughs>